Cool, here we are. This is the Stupsero podcast, Matteo once again, and I'm joined by Chris Hart. Chris, thanks for joining the call. No worries, thanks for having me, it's much appreciated. Chris, you are, you know, we'll, we'll jump straight into, into leaving, leaving you, having, you know, speaking your piece. And, and what I can say is that, you know, we, we connected a couple of times prior to this and, and you are, you know, you've worked in, in recruitment for, for about 13 years. So, and that's, yeah. that's a field that is particularly close to me because I come from sales, right? And, and from what I know, sales and recruitment are somewhat alike. But before we get into the, um, the proper, you know, uh, work-related topic. Let me, you know, give you the chance to introduce yourself and share a little bit about your own background. Okay. Um, so yeah, Chris, uh, live in a little town called Westcliff on Sea, just outside of London. Um, dad of three boys, Tate, Zach, and Finn. In fact, it's Zach's birthday tomorrow. It's gonna be four. Um, yeah, been in recruitment for coming up to. 13 or 14 years now. It was never a deliberate career choice, but here we are 13 years later. Um, I'm not really sure what else to say, to be honest. There's not really, it's not really much to me other, other than that. Three kids and working recruitment for 13 years. Well, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, exactly, what I, that's exactly what I needed. And, uh, and well, happy birthday to Zach. I mean, it's probably too soon, but let, uh, let him know. Um, yeah, well, he's got a rough idea that it's his birthday tomorrow. Zach is... Uh, Zach is the most energetic child that you'll ever meet. He's in his own little world all the time. He doesn't stop moving. So we think he knows it's his birthday tomorrow and he thinks he's getting presents, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's completely taken aback tomorrow. Yeah, so we're looking forward to it. Just remind him then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Chris, like, we'll, you know, thanks for, thanks, thanks for sharing a little bit about yourself. And, and as, you, as you know, like I was telling you before, you know, before we, we hit the recording button, I, I came across your profile through LinkedIn. That's something, you know, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. And, uh, and from what I can tell, you do too. You're fairly active on the platform. And, uh, and you, you shared recently, uh, you know, a few posts about mental well-being at work. And I know that you're, you're a big advocate yourself in the field. And, and why is it? Well, um, basically, like, I suppose like many people, I've had my own things to deal with over the years, ever since I was a kid, really. Uh, but never really did anything about it. Was never really comfortable doing anything about it. Didn't really talk to anyone about anything. And then over the last sort of three, two, three years, started to be a bit more comfortable in my own skin, I suppose. Um, and then as lockdown happened first time around over here in, in England, um, I decided that when we got back to, to the office, I saw a stat on the news somewhere that it was something like before lockdown, there was like one in 10 people that was suffering from depression. And then since lockdown happened, it was one in five. So it was like a hundred percent increase or something. Um, and it kind of just struck a chord with me, I suppose. And I thought it'd be a good idea that when we got back to the office and people were starting to go back to work, that we should address that as a business. And it was something that was important to me. And I suppose from a purely selfish point of view, kind of my own self-therapy, I suppose, quite cathartic, you know, trying to do something for the business from a mental health point of view without actually talking about my own stuff to start off with. And it kind of gave me a reason to talk about it, I suppose. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's always been a big thing for me. I just haven't really always done anything about it. But, but now I'm trying to do as much as possible. And if there's anything I can do to help someone else, then all the, all the better, really. 
Hmm. Interesting. So there wasn't really, if I may ask, there wasn't really like a, a specific trigger. I mean, obviously this news and, and the situation with the pandemic, I, uh, of course, like it affected, affected all of us. And, and to know that one in five uh, suffer from depression going from, you know, one in 10, that's obviously a huge change. Uh, but it was yeah. like something that compounded over time, I guess, like something that, you know, you said you were more and more comfortable with being, with, with being open. Yeah. About so, yeah, like, I've always, ever since I was a kid, like, I call it just the way that I'm wired, right? So I don't think there was any, any particular event that kicked anything off, but I've always known that I potentially think things in a different way. And, you know, I have anxiety, I overthink things, got OCD and things like that. And I've never, like I said, never done anything about it. I never really talked to my friends about anything. I never talked to my other half about it. Um, and about two, three years ago, I decided to, I started to get really bad chest pains like on a daily basis. Um, and I knew that it was exact anxiety, which has probably been built up of like sort of 30 years of not talking to anyone. And I, I, I was quite honest to myself and like things started to kind of start to crack a little bit like things started to seep out I was finding it harder to keep things bottled up and not talk about things so I just decided to go to the doctors got some medication for it they recommended counseling so I went to counseling for a bit and I suppose just that process it's taken sort of like two three years since that point but yeah it's kind of things that have stuck with me ever since I was a kid but since I like sort of three years ago I started to realize that I needed to do something about it especially like having three kids I didn't want to drop down a heart attack one day or something like that so um, and like, if you'd have asked me three years ago, if I was going to talk to anyone about it, I would have said, no, like, well, I'll, I'll talk to a counselor and that's it. But I wasn't going to talk to anyone else about it. I wasn't even going to tell my friends. And then six months later, I told my friends and then I told family. And then a little bit later on, I started telling more people. And here we are sort of three years later, and I'm a bit more open and public about it. So it's just been a bit of a, a slow process to get to a point where I'm more comfortable about it, but I also want to try and help people. Well, good for you. That's thanks for sharing. And is that is that when you got into cognitive behavioral therapy? No, I did. Um, I did the cognitive behavioral therapy course during lockdown that just happened, the first one. So um, I did counselling about a year and a half ago. But that was just like talking therapy. Um, and then I'm I'm quite um, I'm quite a black and white guy. Like I'm quite logical with things like. And CBT as an approach is quite a logical approach to try and solve problems. It's quite a logical way of, um, it's almost like a process, like a tick box exercise to help you overcome like beliefs and issues and how you react to stuff. So I just saw a course online and I thought, even though I was working and working remotely from home, still kind of felt like I had a bit more time in my spare time. There's no commute to work or anything like that. So I decided to you just sign up to this course and I wanted to do a course that not only that I could do for myself, but I wanted to, I wanted to understand it. I wanted to learn it. So I didn't want to just do CBT. I wanted to understand CBT again, because I'm quite logical and I want to understand things when I do them. So I didn't want to just go through a course as like a patient. I wanted to do it so that I could do it for myself, but also then learn it so I could understand it. So I decided to do that through lockdown last time round. Um, and the course I did now means that I'm a qualified coach. So if I ever wanted to help people with therapy or anything like that, I could do because um, I understand it a lot more and I've you know, got framework that I can work to and things like that. So it's more of a case of that for me, I don't find that medication works very well. And I thought the counselling worked quite well. 
but I'm quite practical. And for me, the only way I could explain it is that CBT seems like quite a practical way to change how I think about certain things. Um, and that, that's why I wanted to do it, really. Interesting. And, and I'll, be, I'll be very honest. Like I, I, I have come across some, you know, some papers about CBT and I, and I, and I have had people explain it to me. And, uh, and you recently posted on LinkedIn this, um, this sort of exercise, downloadable exercise. Yeah. I found very useful like do you mind if I ask you to kind of like walk me through the main principles of CBT yeah of course yeah so it, it's it doesn't work for everyone not everyone's gonna value it it's, there's a lot of work involved with CBT it's like there's a lot of homework involved in CBT but the principle behind CBT is that everything that you do is based on your belief system how you react to things is based on your belief system and your belief system, you know, is what you gather through life. Like the example that I use is that no, no one's ever born a racist or a sexist or anything like that. It's your environment. It's what you learn from, from being a child as you grow up to the people you grow up with, hang around with, the people you go to school with, all that kind of stuff. So the way that CBT works is it's based on a model called the ABC model, which is A is activity. So the event that might trigger your reaction B is belief, so what your belief system is behind that. And then C is the consequence, and the consequence is how you act. So, for example, one of the things that, well, it sounds really silly, but one of the things that always kind of set me off was that if I, if I ever dropped anything, like something quite simple, trying to get something out of the kitchen cupboard, if, if I dropped something or something fell on the floor, I'd get really annoyed by it because I'd think that it was a really silly thing to do and it made me feel like I was stupid. So my belief system was that I was stupid. Therefore, the consequence was that I would get angry and get annoyed at myself. And the activity was something falling out of a kitchen cupboard. And that belief system of that I'm stupid it actually come from something much deeper than that, thinking that you're not, you're not good enough and things like that. So what CBT does, it helps you work backwards and understand what your belief systems are and where they come from. And once you work out where a belief system comes from, it comes... It then goes from being a subconscious belief to a conscious belief. So you can change it. So, you, so that exercise that I posted the other week about negative behavior and positive behavior, it's a similar thing. Um, and once you, once you kind of become aware of these behaviors and these belief systems, it then becomes a conscious thought, which you can change. It takes time, but it's a practice that does work. But there is a lot of homework involved in it. Interesting, because, uh, yeah, I mean, this exercise specifically, and, and you explained it beautifully, I think, because this exercise specifically, correct me if I'm wrong, it was about, you know, I gave one example, which I think is extremely practical and happens to a lot of us. I mean, to me, for sure, you, you tend to, you know, you, you, you wake up late and you wake up right before, you know, you have to head to work. So you don't have, yeah. you don't have any time to, you know, take, get, a, get into the shower or, or have some nice breakfast or, or even sit down for a coffee. And yeah. that you feel anxious, frustrated and depressed the whole day. And that's exactly the sort of like, that's where it starts. And that's, that's where there's just a start point. And then the homework is actually to reverse the course of action yeah. and start from, um, start, let's say, from, to, to, to change your habit and to change your actions uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, sort of like back it up with a, positive belief system in that sense is that is that basically yeah so the example that i gave on that was that um for me like i'm not one of these people that say you have to get up at four o'clock in the morning to like have a productive day and things like that so it what i noticed for me was that 
there were some days during lockdown before or even working from home when lockdown was finished that I was getting up out of bed almost like 10, 15 minutes before I should be logging on, which didn't really give me enough time to either shower or like shower properly, take the time, have breakfast, get dressed. I was finding that I was getting up, cleaning my teeth, logging on, trying to do some work, then going to have breakfast, then showering, or staying in my like kind of tracky bottoms and things like that. And it kind of just, it, it had a general effect on my, on my mood because I, I wasn't feel like I was getting anything done. Even though I was still working, like, I felt like I was like pretending to work because I was in my kind of tracky bottom still. I hadn't got dressed. I hadn't got ready for work or anything like that. It kind of, for me, it was, I hadn't done anything practical that morning. So I just made a difference of getting up sort of like 20 minutes earlier and in that time, it means I wasn't rushing around. I had time to kind of shower properly, get dressed, sit down with the kids, have some breakfast, so I can watch TV for a bit. I don't, I, I, now, I now do, I don't use my phone before eight o'clock in the morning. I don't look at any social media on my mobile for eight. I don't do anything like that. And it, it completely, completely changed my day. So by getting up kind of just before you start work, it has such a knock on effect. It's not just one thing that affected the rest of my day. So by getting up, that 20 minutes earlier, it allowed me to have more time in the morning, allowed me to either go to the gym or work out before starting work. It allowed me to shower, get dressed as if I was going to work. And it just kind of made me feel productive before the day even started. So that one particular piece of negative behavior, I had a really big knock on effect throughout the day. So changing that one thing allowed me to have more positive behaviors throughout the day. And it just made such a difference to kind of like my, my mindset for the day and I wanted to use that as the example and that's really what CBT is about is recognizing your own negative behaviors and negative thoughts and trying to work out what the opposite would be to then kind of create that positive behavior and that positive kind of thought process. Yeah like you said it's uh, it sounds like fairly intuitive and simple but it for sure takes a lot of practice right so such a, a small thing yeah. waking up 20 minutes earlier it's not something you can do overnight it's something that you know, as simple as it is, you really need to, to put your mind to it. Yeah, you do. You have to like, the good thing about CBT is that you have to write everything down. And I think it's just a really good exercise writing things down. Um, and not typing things out, but actually physically writing things down. And on, on that worksheet that I posted, I kind of split it into three columns. Like, so recognize what your negative behavior is. What is the consequence of that negative behavior is in regards to what happens if you do it. And then what was the mood that you had? And if you go through that process of writing that stuff down, like I get up late, which means I can't do this, and I can't do that, but then that means my mood is going to be this. It kind of is a bit like realisation as you write it down. Like if I do that, then I do that, then I'm going to feel like that. So what do I, if I don't want to feel like that, then I don't do that, and then I don't do that. And so it's the writing it down as part of the process is really um, kind of useful. And it kind of makes it a lot easier to understand. It's like, it's, basically asking yourself those questions it's not just one question you have to follow that up with another question so what does that mean and what does that mean how does that make me feel so if i feel like that what do i need to do to not feel like that and then you kind of work it backwards interesting and, and chris let me let me ask because uh, we, as we mentioned at the beginning of the conversation a big part of i mean a big part of of your of your life of course is is like like everyone's life is, is work and you specifically you've worked for many years in the recruitment industry right and and i yeah. believe that the fact that you've been for so long in the recruitment industry also allowed you to be to be in touch with uh, with um, uh, you know sort of a sort of a high paced or fast paced uh work environment right because yeah. from what i know 
the the recruitment industry is pretty much associated to to sales, and it's it's, it's very close yep. to people would consider a sales job. No, very much so. Yes. Yeah. So I'm very lucky that where I am now, a client server, we we're kind of unique. You know, I, I've worked at places over the years that we would call kind of like boiler room environments, where I've worked at places where you can't sit down until you get a CV out, or you can't sit down until you made X amount of calls, or you can't go home until you've done this, that, and the other. And luckily, client server is nothing like that. I and mean, we've got a pretty chilled out, kind of grown up culture. But yeah, really, recruitment is a sales job. It's just a different type of sales. And it can be really cutthroat. And I've worked at those places where it's really cutthroat. And if you don't hit target, you're out and that kind of stuff. So yeah, recruitment is hard. It's, it's, it's a hard job, but I, I don't think it's necessarily any harder or any easier than other sales jobs because it's target driven and there's always going to be pressure behind it. Hmm. Yeah, because like, you know, the reason I ask, because obviously, you know, here here on the podcast, but there's there's so many other podcasts, you know, and, and brilliant articles and, and pieces of content about uh, about salespeople and anxiety, or you know, salespeople being crushed by this constant pressure. Yeah. And I assume, and and correct me if I'm wrong, I assume that it's it's fairly similar for for recruiting people, right? Like you have a target. Yeah. You have you have deadlines, like you said. Like sometimes in, in certain uh, so-called boiler rooms, you cannot really get any any peace until 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 you get that CV or you get somebody to uh, yeah. come in for an interview. Uh, do you think this affected your your sort of interest towards looking into mental well-being? Hundred percent. Like I've I've been a casualty of those places over the years. Like I. I I was always, I'm what you call quite high functioning. So I'm very good at hiding what I'm thinking or how I'm feeling. If I'm depressed or anxious, I, I can act completely well, whatever normal is. Um, so I, I've been at those places and managed to kind of get through it. But it, it took a lot of effort and it took a lot of hard work to kind of stay mentally strong in, in some of those places. Because what I found over the years is that even now, like a lot of recruitment companies, I'm sure it's probably the same for sales companies, is that they are owned and managed by really old school thinking people. Like they, it's like everyone's still stuck in the 80s and that you've got to make a thousand calls a day and you've got to wear a shiny suit and slip back hair and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's just not like that anymore. But they're not open-minded to that fact. They're not open to change. And they think that the only way to get activity or success out of someone is to kind of beat them with a stick beat them with kpis beat them with targets and if they don't do it then get rid of them um and I, i've been at those places where it's like that day in day out so yeah working in that kind of environment and having anxiety and ocd and things like that anyway just kind of um increased that i suppose yeah, and I very much relate to that. I mean, coming from you know similar background, I come from from sales, and and yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I totally get what you mean, and and you know, I'm happy to hear that a client server things are different. You seem very excited yeah. about about the company. I know, and uh, and you know, I hope it's okay to to touch on this. I know that you recently posted about client server and, and about like some great achievements that you that you helped the team with. Like, do you mind maybe elaborating? Yeah. Yeah, so um, like I said earlier on, as when we came back from lockdown, we were um, we'd never worked from home before as a business until we got to lockdown. Like it was never it happened overnight. We had to kind of just adjust to it. We was working from home for about sort of four months, I think, off the top of my head. 
And then as of about July or August, we started to come back to the office, but we were splitting our time. So some days at home, some days in the office. Um, and that's when I decided that now that we're coming back to the office, maybe we should, as a business, um, do something about our staff's mental health. Not that the business has never done anything about it, but my, my concern was that it wasn't, it wasn't obvious that the owners or the managers in the business cared or that understood. There was, no, there was no culture, basically, about it. If someone had a problem, the owners of the business were very good at helping that person with that, but the wider business wouldn't know that. Therefore, I thought there would be definitely other people that were keeping things themselves and really struggling and probably lying about taking time off and calling in sick for other reasons and things like that. So I wanted to try and change that. So my, my thought process was, is rather than, just, rather than just us managers get together and write a load of policies that no one really cares about you need to start with getting a culture together you, you know you need to have the culture in the first place you know that the employees and the staff need to believe you and buy into it otherwise you can write as many policies as you like and they're not going to get used no one's going to care and no one's going to believe them so my approach was is that rather than just put a load of policies together we, we focus on getting buy-in from the people in the business and trying to build a culture from them first um, so what we did first of all was we did, I, we, we put together an anonymous survey in regards to like mental health and well-being at work, uh, which pretty much everyone filled out. Um, we had loads of responses, which was really good. And that kind of set the tone for it. And then we did a couple of focus groups after that survey where we kind of, um, invited people to come into group sessions where we talked about some of the, um, common themes in, and feedback in survey. Like we kept the results confidential, but there were certain suggestions and themes that came up. So we asked people to kind of elaborate and give us more information on that. And it became their culture then because it was their ideas, it was their suggestions that we were listening to and we were kind of taken on board rather than just dictating, right, this is what we're going to do, this is what's going to happen because they, they just wouldn't care. So my approach was that we needed people to believe it and care about it. So that's why we did the survey and the focus groups and then after that, we wanted to get some, we wanted to kind of create our own ambassador team. And my, my, my thought process was, is that all the managers should be trained to have an understanding of mental health awareness, but we should have an ambassador's team that doesn't include managers because again, people might not want to go to managers. They might want to just speak to someone confidentially that's not a manager about something. So we invited someone in to do some training. She trained all the managers and she trained our ambassadors on mental health awareness, how to have conversations, how to signpost people. And then following that, we created a, a mental health committee, which has now been put together. And we're working on um, well-being events and activities that we can do before the end of the year. We're organising more speakers to come into the business. Um, we're putting together blogs and articles. And it's kind of just kind of gone like that. Really. It's been a lot on an upward curve since, since day one. And we've done a lot. And not only that, we've... Now the owners of the business have changed the, the, the sick policy to include mental health as well. Um, we now have a dedicated folder on our shared drive or internet internally, which is about mental health. It's got like helplines in there and um, it's got the, the names of the ambassadors and it's got our CBT exercises and things like that. And this week, if not next week, we're going to be updating our like website, our company website, which will have a page, again, dedicated to what we're doing about mental health and well-being for our staff so none of that stuff was there three months ago and i don't think it would be there now if we would have done it the other way around if we would have just 
got the managers together and said, right, this is what's going to happen. We're going to, these are our policies. I don't think the culture would have been there. But because we did it the opposite way and we made it about what the employees want and what the staff want, that's why I think we've had so much success of it and why it's worked is because it's, it's their culture. It's what they suggested. It's what they wanted, basically. That's, that's interesting. You know, I've spoken only a couple of days ago with, uh, with a learning and development coach. And, uh, and, and the first thing that, that they recommend is to, you know, and it may sound like a, like a buzz term or whatever, but like it's, to, it's yeah. to start with people first and to listen rather than perform, right? And that's exactly what you're mentioning. Like find a way to, to get people to open up and build the trust and make it about them rather than trying to perform or hit some coach KPIs, so to speak, and try yeah. to, you know, don't try to impress your management. Just try, to, just try to make people comfortable and then things will fall into place. Yeah, I completely agree with that because what we could have done is me and the managers or the owners of the business could have just got together. We could have put some policies in place. We could have got a trainer to come in straight away to do some mental health awareness training. But I don't think anyone would have bought into it because they'd be like, why are you doing this? Why are we going for this training? So the fact that we started off slow, we got their feedback first by doing a survey. We then got them involved with focus groups, made it about them and what they wanted and what they felt was missing. And that's where things started to change because we made it, that's where you get the culture from. Your culture comes from your employees, not from the management. Like your management has an effect on it. The owners of the business obviously have an effect on what your environment's like, but there are only two or three people. Whereas your culture through a business like ours, like 60, 70 people, there's more employees than there are managers. So the culture comes from them. So you've got, you've got to involve them, otherwise it's just not going to work. Well, that speaks very highly of, of client server as an organization, you know, to, to embrace this mentality. And, and may I ask, like, what's, what's next for you guys? Or, or do you have any, any plan coming in the, in the near future? What, in regards to like, the mental health? Correct, yeah. So for the end of this year, we're just going to focus on getting some articles and blogs written for the uh, company blog and for LinkedIn. We are looking at bringing in a kind of like a public speaker to do a talk at our end of year kind of like um, party kind of thing uh, at the end of the year. And then we're kind of just, because there's not many weeks left and we're on lockdown at the minute, there's not much we can do. So um, we're planning what we can do in, in Q1 of next year, which will be like a company-wide activity or event that'll be more kind of well-being focused rather than just going to the pub and everyone drinking and things like that. Um, and planning what kind of marketing material and things like that we can do internally and we'll probably do some more training so we haven't done the over here there's a, there's a company called mental health first aid um, and we've done awareness training but we haven't done like the official first aid training so that would be the next step of training that we could do but the, the plan is to bring like a public speech into the office like once every two three months so I keep it ongoing not make it just a one-off thing and we're going to keep putting articles together, you know, three or four articles every quarter and an activity or an event that we can do every quarter as well. So it's going to be an all round thing. And that's why we created the committee. So we've got a team of people that are responsible for that. That's amazing. Um, I mean, congratulations. I had off for, I had for that. I think it's, uh, it's, you see more and more of these initiatives, but it's rare to see so much being done in, in only three months. Right. Um, yeah. Chris, like if you know, we're heading towards the, the end of the of the conversation, unfortunately. But uh, you know, I, I would like to to sort of end with uh, with a question, which is more like, 
me trying to to pick your brain on this and and i see i see a lot of companies a lot of you know company leaders managers whatever whatever you know uh, sort of like stakeholder that is trying to to move the needle within their own organization in terms of mental well-being and and a lot of them don't exactly know where to start now you mentioned that only three months ago the first thing you did was to clearly focus on people and the first thing you did was to was to um, conduct this this anonymous survey and a lot of people participated do you think that's you know what would that be your your advice to to other managers other people in your position who want to be sort of like internal advocates within their company to start a mental well-being program i would say so yeah something along those lines because you, you the company needs to believe in it first of all like they have to want to do it because they want to do it not because they want to just be seen to doing it like do you want to make change or do you want to be seen to making change for a tick box exercise so any owner of a business really whether they believe in it or not should allow someone to run a mental health initiative in their in their workplace because just because an owner of the business might not believe in it their employees will 100 some of them all of them one or two of them will definitely either be affected by it or be or believe in it so you need to identify who that person is in the company who's the person that's going to be able to drive it believe in it be passionate about it um, and whether that's the owner themselves or whether it's someone underneath them, someone in a non-management role, that's where you need to start. You know, you need to first of all decide, are we doing this because we actually believe in it or are we doing it for a tick box exercise to make it look like we believe in it? That's your first step. And once you've answered that question, then you need to find out who in your business is going to be the best person to drive it and just let them go with their gut because they might have different ideas. They might have better ideas um, that work for them. Each business is going to be different. Uh, for me, I, I knew that the business we work in, that the business would be open-minded to it, but the, the rest of the employees would probably be quite surprised that we're doing something, which is why I thought the survey was the best way to go about it. If it's been an ongoing conversation, you haven't really done much about it so far, but you've been talking about it, I would just say put a team of people together and have a focus group. Like, what, 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 what's the business missing? What is it that you need to put in place? But the most important thing to start off with is, deciding if you generally believe in it or you're just doing it to look like you believe in it basically that's what i would say is the most important thing to start off with yeah i thought this was the the perfect answer and it's uh, and it's super clear it's about sort of like finding your internal ambassadors and uh yeah and, and let them yeah let them let them sort of play around with uh, with and sort of let allow them to make it their own project and yeah and, and sort of build you know may i say since we are i'm based in berlin and this is kind of like the uh you know this there is a big startup world around here. It's almost like building your own mini startup within, within the company, right? Yeah, I would say it's probably better to have people that aren't in management doing it. Like keep management involved as like a sounding board and get their advice and things like that. But if you, want, if you really want to do it as a business, you need to have the culture. That's, that, that was my policy. That was my thought process behind it. There's no point having policies if you haven't got the culture and you get the culture by the people that work in business. So that's where you start, you know, get the business involved, you know, get people that aren't in management to, to drive it, to run it, get their input, get their thoughts and let them run with it. But have maybe someone from HR or a people management team or one of the owners involved to a point, but let, let the people in the business drive the idea because that's where your culture will come from. That's, that's perfect. Chris, I appreciate you, you sharing all this and I appreciate you you know, coming on board and, and, and help, help us spread awareness on the topic. And I think you're doing an incredible job and 
should people, you know, listen to this and be maybe interested in, in picking your brain or, or ask a couple of questions? What's the best way to reach out to you? Best ways are on LinkedIn. Um, tag me or message me directly. Um, as you said, I'm quite active on there. So uh, I'm on there most days. But yeah, I'm more than happy if anyone's got any suggestions or they want to pick my brains. I'm always happy to chat to people and try and learn different things or if people want to ask me for any advice and they want to kind of, you know, inflate my ego a little bit then yeah i'm more than happy to give some advice and suggestions and stuff yeah awesome then uh, shout out to all all of those people who listen to this and and uh, and feel like they have either anything to share or just want to have an honest conversation with you i think it's uh, it's highly recommended chris once again thanks a lot for for being here and hopefully speak soon again yeah cheers Matt. i, re I really enjoyed that i really appreciate you having me on thank you